It seems that a lot of people are tired these days. Last year, Google searches for why am I tired all the time hit an all-time high. And a survey reported that three out of five US adults felt more tired now than they've ever felt. Many people, of course, have blamed COVID for this. Not just the the long-term effects of the illness, but also the impact of having lived through numerous lockdowns and working longer hours and too much screen time and a breakdown of regular routines. And this isn't just a problem for us older people. Millennials, basically those in their 20s and 30s, they are often referred to as the tired generation. And a study from the American Psychological Association reported that they are the most stressed out generation, struggling with anxiety and loss of sleep. And another survey claimed that young adults are now twice as likely to experience constant exhaustion than they were 20 years ago. Twice as likely. seems that we're all in need of rest. And so there are many people who will advise us about how to deal with it. You know, things like get more exercise, drink less caffeine, get more sleep, disconnect from social media, take a holiday. And some of these things can really help. As can maybe sometimes going to the doctor to check out to see if there's an, an underlying physical issue that's causing the tiredness. But we need something more than just physical rest. We need a better rest than that. Something that will quieten our hearts and settle our restlessness. It was a guy called Augustine who many years ago prayed this prayer. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. And that's why in his letter, the writer of Hebrews continued to urge his readers to not to walk away from their faith in Christ. Because he knew that only Christ can provide this better rest. So this morning we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 13. And Lorraine is going to come up and she's going to read it for us. Thanks Lorraine. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have heard the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the fate of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since since it still remains for some to enter that rest, 
And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage clearly quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thank you very much, Lorraine. The idea of rest in the Bible goes way back, right to the beginning. As quoted in verse 4 of our reading, Genesis 2 records that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Now obviously that's not because God was tired or, or exhausted. And it doesn't mean that since then God has been inactive in the world, that he just kind of created the world and stepped back and just let the world on its own. As we've seen, Jesus did not just create the world, he is also sustaining all things by his powerful word. Instead, this means that God rested on the seventh day to declare that the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. God had accomplished his work of creation. In the previous six days, God had spoken into existence light and sky and sea and dry land filled with plants, the sun, the moon and the stars, sea creatures and birds, land animals and human beings. And so God stopped. And he rested from his work. Because it was complete. This is what verse 3 says. His work has been finished since the creation of the world. And because of this, God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. That's what it says in Genesis 2 and 3. He put his divine favour on that day and he set it apart for his particular use. And in the law given to Moses, Israel was commanded to remember the Sabbath day and to, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That word Sabbath simply means to cease or to rest. It's very connected to the word in Genesis about how God rested. So each Sabbath, the nation was supposed to rest from their work. And that kind of provided a, a helpful rhythm 
to their lives. And a time of relaxation and, and restoration each week. But it did more than this. This Sabbath was also a time to remember. To remember that God was their creator. And also to express their reliance on God to provide. Rather than thinking it was all on them to work every single moment of the day and every day of the week just to provide for themselves. And it was also a celebration of their covenant relationship with God to remember that God was their Lord. But this day of rest, it also pointed forward to a greater rest. A rest that God had promised for his people. So in Deuteronomy chapter 12, Moses said to them, You have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land your God has given you as inheritance and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you. The, the land of Canaan was supposed to be a place of rest for the nation. Rest from their travels. Rest from their enemies. Rest in God's good plan and purpose for their lives. But if you were with us here, with us last week, you would have seen that many of the Israelites missed out on that rest. Despite all that they'd seen, they did not trust God. They questioned His love. They doubted His goodness. And so they, they took control of their lives and they disobeyed God's command and they rebelled against God's rule. And in judgment, God said, they shall never enter my rest except for Joshua and Caleb that whole generation that left Egypt did not enter the promised land for 40 years they died in the desert this was because although they'd heard the good news of God's rest the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. As verse 2 says. They missed out on God's rest because of their sinful and unbelieving heart. But some others did enter the rest. Joshua led a new generation of Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land. Later he could declare, Joshua chapter 22, The Lord your God has given your brothers rest, as he promised. But this was not the fullness of the rest that God had promised. The writer of Hebrews proved that from his quotations from Psalm 95. As we saw last week, this psalm warned people against following the example of those rebellious Israelites. Today, 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As we read in verse 7. David, he wrote that psalm about 400 years after the people, that new generation, had entered into the land of Canaan. But despite this, he warned them against hardening their hearts because then they would not enter God's rest. So if Joshua had given them rest, the writer says in verse 8, God would have not spoken about another day. If these people, 400 years after the nation had entered the promised land, if these people had entered and were enjoying God's ultimate rest, then through David, God would not warn them about missing out on another day of rest. So the writer of Hebrews concludes that on the basis of God's word, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is the rest that all the other rests in Scripture were pointing forward to. Not a day of rest, like in the law given to Moses, which pointed back to creation. Not a place of rest that was given to Joshua in the land of Canaan. But the ultimate reality of rest, given through one greater than Moses and greater than Joshua. A rest that was won for us at Calvary through Jesus. So this is why in his letter to the Colossians, Paul wrote this. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. As Christians, we don't need to follow the rules and the regulations of the old covenant, like the Sabbath day. Because all of these, they were pointing forward to the promise of God's ultimate rest. A rest that only comes through Jesus. So what we need to do, is that we need to come to Jesus. Because only in Him can we find that rest. This is his invitation to us today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But what is that rest? What was the rest that the writer of Hebrews was talking about here? Scholars debate about this. Some people think it was, it was a rest that we can enjoy right now. Other people think, no, it's about a future rest. But maybe the writer of Hebrews was talking about both. Verse 10. Anyone who rests enters God's rest. Sorry, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. Just as God did from his. This rest is about stopping our work. 
not retiring, uh, not just going on holiday, but that work of trying in our own strength to make us good enough to be loved and accepted by God. It's about stopping those desperate attempts to make ourselves right with God and instead resting in Jesus' finished work on the cross. As we'll see later in this letter, as our great high priest Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sat down because his work was finished. It was complete. It was sufficient. On the cross, Jesus paid the full price of our sin. He suffered the full wrath of God that we deserved. He died our death sentence. So the great news is that nothing more is needed. We we cannot add to this. We cannot earn it. We certainly can't try to, to pay it back. All we need to do is accept it by faith. Rest in His unconditional love and His outrageous grace. Rest in His sacrificial death and His victorious resurrection. Rest in His finished work. That's what the Apostle Paul did. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul spoke about all the things that I used to depend on in order to be right with God. Things like his heritage and his ancestry, his fanatical keeping of the law, his zealous persecution of the church, his faultless commitment to his religion. If anybody, through their efforts, could become right with God, Paul could. But when he met Jesus... He let go of it all. And instead he rested in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And this is the rest that Jesus offers to all of us. Whoever we are, or whatever we've done, or whatever we've not done, we can stop we can we can stop trying to make ourselves good enough for God and instead experience that sabbath rest of Christ but of course the ultimate experience of that rest will only be realized when Jesus comes back again for us and he takes us to be with him forever This is ultimately what I think the writer means when he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Yes, through faith we can step into that rest that Christ won for us on the cross, but we can't experience it to the full. Even as Christians, we sometimes struggle with restlessness, with tiredness, with exhaustion. It's only going to be when 
We're in heaven that will fully experience all that Jesus won for us on the cross. Then it will be fully true that now the dwelling of God is with men and He will live with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's when we will fully experience the Sabbath rest that we can experience in Christ. And so that's why this passage is again calling us to persevere to the end. Verse 1. Since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. This little phrase, let us be careful, is literally, let us fear. Let us be afraid. That's because the writer of this letter, he understood the seriousness of what might happen to his readers. Some of them were being tempted to do exactly what those rebellious Israelites had done many centuries previously. Because they too had heard the message, the good news of God's grace. They too had heard the offer of God's rest. But like those Israelites, some of them were being tempted to turn away. Reject the offer. Go back to working on their own strength to make their lives significant or satisfying or secure. And so the writer again pleaded with his readers not to miss out, not to fall short. If they did not respond with true, persevering faith in Jesus, then they were in danger of being lost and heading to a lost eternity. And that was something to be fearful of. To be terrified of. And so, so, and so because of so much was at stake, He called his readers to be absolutely sure. This was not an issue to avoid or to be neglectful of or to kind of shrug your shoulders about or say, I hope so. This is something we need to be sure of. So he says in verse 11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. So many people say that that they believe that Jesus died for them. But they don't do anything about it. It doesn't impact their lives. They don't do anything as a result of it. It's just something that they say, yeah, I think that's probably true. They treat the gospel as of Minimal importance, as if it really doesn't matter. They expect that because God loves them, then of course, automatically, they're all going to be saved. 
that's not true. The gospel is of no value to us if we do not combine it with faith. If we don't put our wholehearted and full dependence on Christ, if we don't accept Him as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then we will not be saved. And so we need to be sure that we put our faith in Jesus. We need to do everything we can to check our hearts so that we can be certain that we're trusting in Jesus, that we've been saved and that we're resting in Him. In a sense, we need to work hard to make sure that we've stopped working and trying to be good enough for God. The thought of somebody here this morning listening to me And yet not responding in faith is a terrifying thought. A heartbreaking thought. So we need help to do this. We can't do this on our own. Because we can so easily deceive ourselves, can't we? We can come here, especially if you've been coming to church for a long time, or even especially if you've been brought up in church. And you can look the part. You can put on the act. You can convince everybody else that you're okay. And we can still be very far from God. But of course, God is not deceived. So it says in verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. God sees us as we really are this morning. He sees the reality of our hearts. So when we stand before Him as judge, when He judges the world, He will see if we are trusting in ourselves and our own goodness and our own efforts or if we're trusting in Jesus. But then of course it will be too late to remedy that situation. It will be too late to be saved. All we'll face is judgment. So that's why we need to see ourselves today as God sees us. We need to see ourselves, as it were, through God's eyes before that day of judgment. Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's grace. And it's so that we can do that. That is why God has given us His Word. The Word of God, verse 12, is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book is alive and it's active. When we read it, 
It cuts through our hypocrisy and our pride and our pretense. It penetrates right into our hearts. And it reveals where we stand before God. It convicts us of our sin. That's why it's uncomfortable. That's why it's uncomfortable to read the Bible. That's why it's uncomfortable sometimes to come to church. That's why we sometimes just want to kind of block it out. But this word doesn't just point out our sin. Thank God it also points us to the Saviour. The one who loved us and who gave himself for us. The one who invites us into his rest. It's through God's word that we can see ourselves as we really are and see our need of a saviour. So that's why we need to be people who are continually committed to reading the Bible to studying it, to responding to it. If we have not got into the habit of that, or if we have moved away from the habit of that, we need to open God's Word regularly and let God speak into our hearts and reveal to us who we really are. It's through God's Word that we can see ourselves as we really are. It's through God's word that we can see if we have not put our faith in Jesus so that we can repent and we can turn to him. But it's also through God's word that if we have trusted in Jesus that he can speak those words of assurance that we are saved and we can rest in his salvation and we can eagerly look forward to that ultimate Sabbath rest for the people of God. In this world of tiredness and fatigue and exhaustion, Jesus' invitation to us is still, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The Sabbath day pointed forward to that. The gift of Canaan was supposed to be a place that illustrated that. But the Israelites lost it because of their unbelief. But the good news is that that promise of rest still stands today. So I pray, I plead with you, that none of us will fall short of that. But that we will make every effort to enter into that rest through faith in Jesus as revealed in His Word. And we will be able to rest in Jesus.